Is there a good activity for relationship skills that always seems to work or is good for people just getting started? So the biggest thing is storytelling and not where you're always the hero. Welcome to the Moments for Myself podcast. I'm your host, Virginia, and in this episode, we're focused on relationship skills. I'm speaking with Maya Dorsey today. She's the Director of Equity and Collaborative Impact at Learn to Earn Dayton and is on the leadership team of SEL for Ohio. She's been an elementary school teacher and a school administrator, so she brings all kinds of experience to the conversation today. After the podcast, if you want something hands-on for your students or for your kids to practice relationship skills, check out the Moments for Myself workbook published by McGraw-Hill at momentsformyself.com. Before we speak with Maya, let's start with a definition of relationship skills from CASEL, the organization that works to make SEL skills an integral part of K-12 education. So relationship skills are the abilities to establish and maintain healthy and supportive relationships and to effectively navigate settings with diverse individuals and groups. Okay, now let's talk to Maya. So Maya, how do you define relationship skills? Having safe conversations, being compassionate with people, telling stories, sharing stories, two-way learning. So it's not just me talking at a person, it's us talking to each other and being able to relate and connect with one another. And the biggest thing is actively listening, making sure you listen and you're just not the only one talking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you find that the need for improving relationship skills has changed as a result of the pandemic? We are very much so disconnected right now. The pandemic has definitely um, cause our walls to go up. The human connectivity is low. And so we must prioritize rebuilding it. We have to spend time and prioritize rebuilding it. We don't see faces now because of masks. Even though some people are vaccinated, you're still staying at a distance. So there's less hugging than before, less handshaking. So a lot of the human connection is, is lost. And so for kids, we must also model that as adults, it's okay to make a connection. It's okay to engage. But we have to figure out how to model healthy re-engagement. So we're at a stage, and we're not even at a comfortable stage of doing that, right? Because we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Kids don't know what to do. Like, do I hug them or do I not? Do I wave? Do I elbow? Like, what do I do? A lot of kids don't have connections on the phone. Some kids have cell phones. Some kids don't. So when do you talk? And even at school, for example, my kids are in school and they have recess, but they're still kind of separated. So recess doesn't look like it used to. And so when you want kids to connect, we're not really providing a space because of the pandemic fully for them to be able to connect. So we have to be creative in our conversations and our modeling for kids for them to feel comfortable on how to connect, how to re-engage people. Yeah. So are there any specific examples you can offer teachers or parents to model some of those skills you're talking about without violating any social distancing guidelines that may be in place? Yeah, I mean, I think connectivity is important. My kids have cell phones, um, even though I'm not a big believer, but my husband is. But it has its advantages, FaceTiming um, and just allowing time for kids to have those opportunities, virtual opportunities, because, you know, they're limited in person. That's one way. Parents being able to get together. So like if you know your kids have certain friends from school or the neighborhood that they're 
they, they are interested in playing with, you know, organizing some sort of outdoor activities, especially before it gets too cold, for them to engage. I think um, the multimedia outlets that we have, cell phones, FaceTime, Alexas, things like that, allow opportunities for our kids to stay connected. And so we have to we have to monitor it, of course, because we don't want kids to get into things they shouldn't. But just having those conversations with your kids on the purpose of using your cell phone or FaceTime or any communication tool is to stay connected. And so those are the conversations that we have with our kids. And so we have been a little bit more open to them having a little bit more time with their devices because we know they're trying to make those connections. The biggest piece is when it comes to communication and building relationships when it comes to children is giving them the language on how to communicate. As a teacher, being able to say, hey guys, how do you communicate? And letting kids describe in their mind, what does that look like? And being able to guide that to say, well, let's take it a step further. Kids feel like looking at each other on FaceTime is communication, but I've seen it with my own kids. The phone is facing the ceiling. I'm like, so why are you on FaceTime? If you like, why didn't you just pick up the phone and call? Well, picking up the phone and calling these days apparently is dated. So you only way you talk on the phone is through FaceTime. But like you guys are not saying anything. So sometimes, you know, you have to give kids conversation starters. Like, what do you talk about? What And so kids sometimes are like, I don't know what to talk about. We're not in the same class or we have different interests. And so conversation starters are good. Talk about your favorite food. Talk about your favorite movie or video game. Like giving kids conversation starters, because if you really pay attention to this generation, because they're so inundated with technology, they don't have a lot of external interests, outdoor experiences, and just opportunities that we had. So I think we have to give kids language on what are some things to talk about? I had my daughter ask me, my sister and I are 10 years apart, but we're really close as friends. And so we talk on the phone maybe once a day, sometimes twice a day. And my niece, my daughter was like, what do y'all possibly talk about? You're 10 years apart, but what can you possibly talk about? I'm like, well, we have a lot of common interests. Just trying to explain to her while we're different and we like different things, there are some com- commonalities that we have. And so that's what keeps our conversation going. And so that was insightful for her and she's 13, you know. So again, just helping kids understand like how do you engage in a conversation? What does it look like? What are some things you can talk about? Right. And those conversation starters, they can sort of help them find those common things. Yes. When you're teaching relationship skills or working with teachers on how to teach relationship skills. Have you ever noticed any kind of red flag needs to be addressed? Everybody's environment and exposure to what relationships look like, um, whether it be healthy or unhealthy, are different. Kids are sponges and they will really, really regurgitate what they see and what they hear in their environment being home or school. I remember teaching and um, I had laryngitis, but I came to school anyway. And I was teaching first grade. And so I really couldn't talk. So I was at a whisper. And one of the little girls, she was like, Mrs. Dorothy, I got this. I'm going to help you teach today. And so she, she began to be me. And it was hilarious, right? Because kids were kind of looking like, Would she sit down and looking at me like, is it okay for her to do this? But it was funny to see myself reflected in my student. And I was like, do I say that? And it wasn't all bad, but it was just like, hey, let's get to work. 
turn around, focus. And then I had to be like, wow, okay, she's really mirroring me. I think really when it comes to red flags, it is we us understanding that kids have different definitions of what relationships look like, what conversations sound like. And so we have to give them permission, number one, to be their full, be their full self, their authentic self. But at the same time, we have to be able to patiently um, and supportively help them to navigate when we feel like that is out of sync, right, with a healthy relationship. And that we have to understand that they have to use their guts because some, let's just be honest, not every relationship is healthy, whether it's peer to peer or adult to peer or whatever. And so um, when you allow kids to be who they are, but give them tools to kind of reshape things that may be a little not supportive, again, in, in a healthy relationship, that's a teachable moment. And so um, as far as red flags, kids are going to have conflict. And so just helping them to navigate and giving them the conversation and the tools to be able to support them in problem solving in those situations. Right. And on the on the flip side of that, have you ever come across any sort of really positive thing that came out of a, a, a teachable moment or something like that? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just recognizing that people are open to having healthy relationships. People want to be connected. As a result, you know, kids tend to really kind of hold you in this high regard. And you're like, really, I wasn't trying to be your superhero necessarily. I'm just trying to respect you and support you. But what, what happens as a result of that is that kids understand, oh, this person cares about me. Communication is a lot. It, it, it communicates, it, it, it does a lot for kids. Their signals go off of, oh, you know, she's supportive and she's, she's motivating me. And so when you make those connections and you build those relationships, it really helps kids to understand that somebody is here to help me win and be successful. And so what I've noticed is that they spread it. So again, just like that student modeling me, she also understood, okay, this is how I can make connections with my peers as well. There is something that is critical that we don't realize that we're doing, but kids, again, are mirroring our behavior. Is there a good activity that you've done that is sort of like a good go-to activity to teach relationship skills or a certain approach, something that usually works? Or another way to think about it is there's like something good if someone's like, I don't know where to start. I think I would say don't overthink it. Let's not treat relationship building like it's a lesson plan. Teachers, you know, you're so used to writing a lesson plan and we have to have this knowledge on how we're going to instruct something. Let's not overthink. So the biggest thing is storytelling. Storytelling is important and not where you're always the hero. Sometimes you want to tell the story where it has a great outcome, but sometimes tell a story about how you had some struggles or you had a challenge and you had to kind of navigate a difficult situation. And what does that look like? But also another thing that I've learned is I remember when I, my, the first day of school, I was teaching first grade and the kids, we were just teaching and I looked up and the kids said, Hey, when are we going to eat lunch? And I looked at the clock and I said, Oh, I said, I think we're late. And um, I took them down and lined them up and got them on down to the cafeteria and Nobody was there. And I thought, well, we have missed lunch. And so I said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to order pizza for the whole class because 
the kids didn't eat lunch. And so I called the principal and I was so embarrassed. I was like, the kids can't eat lunch. And so I told the kids, I said, guys, I said, I apologize. Mrs. Dorsey has messed up. And they said, what you do? I said, we, you can't eat lunch today. And so they said, well, what are we going to do? And so the, the cafeteria workers were so gracious that they went on ahead and made 26 lunches for me and brought them down to the classroom. But in that moment, what they recognized in me was I wasn't perfect. And I had to fess up and I had to own like, so I think I'm going to get in trouble, guys, right? And so they were like, I think the principal's going to understand. But that's just, that's just an example of just really being mm-hmm. human. And you're not this superhero with this cape because a lot of times students feel like we are celebrities. It's amazing when you go to Walmart and you hear your name from across the, the store running and they're like, she shops at Walmart. Yes, I'm human. You know, yes. sometimes we have to make ourselves human to our students and, and be willing to tell stories and be willing to share when we're not perfect because they appreciate that they value that and then they that, that allows them and encourages them to do the same. Yeah, I love that because I do think a lot of teachers approach things they do in the classroom from a lesson, like how am I going to teach this lesson? Yeah. And sometimes it is just about those moments and um and stories. I mean, there's so much research on how stories are what resonate with people of all ages because yeah. they're easier to remember sometimes than a, a lesson, so to speak. And embrace the moment, you know, don't control right. the moment because like moments happen, right? And what do we do? We shut them down. Like, oh, let's not talk about that right now because we got to get through this lesson. But sometimes there's a lesson in the moment. And so embrace the moment. And we can't be so stuck to our lesson plans and our curriculums and our basils that we just, we we disregard kids and we disregard opportunities because we are mm-hmm. afraid to go off task. But we have to recognize that with our students, they, they need more than that. And especially now in a pandemic. Absolutely. Wow. Well, th- this has been great. Is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I would like to really express is the fact that we are still in the pandemic. Our lives will forever be changed, that our kids' lives will be forever changed. The fact that we were quarantined, kids were quarantined, some were in great situations and some were not. We have to recognize that coping skills right now are important. Kids are trying to figure out how to cope. Parents are figuring out how to cope. A lot has happened. And so we have to be willing, again, to not be in control of every aspect of the day, every aspect of our students, and really understand that, hey, we are all having a difficult time. And so that normal is not going to look like it did in 2019, that students' experiences look different. And so we have to reimagine how we do school and we have to reimagine how we make connections. And so that's just one of the things that I just want to express because I know when we put our teacher hat on, you know, we're trying to get a job done and also understand the pressures that we have day to day, right? The expectations that are placed on us. But kids are struggling, parents are struggling. And if we be honest, we as adults and educators are struggling as well. Wow, thank you. That's great advice for anyone to hear nowadays, teachers, parents, anyone that works with kids. Okay, I just wanted to summarize some of the key points that Maya made during our talk. Due to the pandemic, she talked about being more open to letting kids use apps like FaceTime because Kids do have fewer opportunities to connect with their friends in person, and this is a way for them to connect with others. However, she paired that with giving kids the language to communicate better 
by providing them with conversation starters as a starting point to building those types of communication skills that are so important in relationship building. She also suggested using storytelling to build relationship skills, especially stories where you as the teacher or parent may have navigated a difficult situation to show that you're human and that you make mistakes too. Because as she said, them seeing you admit mistakes allows them to do the same with other people. And by the way, that concept of admitting mistakes in front of the students, that comes up in other episodes as well. It's not just relevant to relationship skills. Off the top of my head, I know it comes up in responsible decision-making. So check that episode out as well for more on that. She also says not to overthink teaching relationship skills and that sometimes there's a lesson in the moment and and teachers sometimes disregard those moments because they're afraid to go off task. That's also a very common thread throughout all of the podcast episodes. When it comes to SEL, it seems like those teachable moments oftentimes make the biggest impression on students. And the last thing I want to say related to those teachable moments is we have the Moments for Myself workbook that's available at momentsformyself.com. I bring it up now because not only does it give students opportunities to practice relationship skills we talked about today, like navigating conflict or how to be a good friend, but that site, momentsformyself.com, also gives great ideas for how to optimize those teachable moments when it comes to relationship skills and all five of the SEL competencies. So make sure to check that out if you're interested in that at momentsformyself.com. That's all for today's episode on relationship skills. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Maya Dorsey, for sharing your expertise.